Jim Duckett of Shelbyville, Kentucky, was a lot of things to a lot of people. A father, son, brother, uncle, friend, horse lover, good listener, veteran, and so much more. That's why it's so hard to understand how he came to be tied to a chair in his bathroom, bloodied and tortured to death on November 10th, 2008. Well, it's hard to understand for most of us, but somebody out there knows exactly what happened. It's been 14 long years now, excruciating years for Jim's friends and family. It's time for anyone who knows anything about Jim's murder to come forward. We're going to talk more about why that's so important to Jim's community and really to any community that has a cold case still hanging over it like a storm cloud. I'm so glad you've joined me today for this episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm private investigator Lori Morrison, and I want us to tackle another story from the world of true crime and see what spiritual and safety tips we can find there. I think that every Christian's calling is to be what I call a different kind of PI, a person of impact. Stick around because I'll give you a practical way to do just that. This is season four, episode one. It's so hard for me to actually believe that we are starting our fourth year investigating the intersection of faith and true crime together. I've heard from so many of you about the impact that certain episodes have had in your life or the lives of people you've shared them with. Let's make 2023 the year that we all make an impact on the lives of people who have had their lives impacted by crime. First, let's get back to Jim's story. He moved to Shelbyville, Kentucky to help his sister, Catherine Nichols, with her children. Duckett lived a very quiet life. He owned a rescue lab mix named Bo. And around the time of his death, Nichols said that she knew something was up with her brother. Something was unusual. Duckett had mentioned wanting to move after his house had been robbed. So when Nichols didn't hear from her brother one Sunday morning, she became concerned, like any of us would if we couldn't get a hold of a loved one, a friend, whoever. So she called his church friends to check on him. They told her that he wasn't at service that morning. And that just wasn't like Jim. So Catherine went to his house, but she didn't go inside. She became even more concerned when she didn't hear from Jim the next day either. She went back to his house, and this time she did go in. To her horror, she found Jim in his bathroom, dead. Nichols had been on the phone the whole time with her and Jim's sister. She told her what she saw, and they wondered if maybe Jim had committed suicide. But then Catherine saw that her brother's hands had been tied to the chair he was seated on. Whoever had killed Jim had stabbed him multiple times. In an interview with WHAS 11 in Kentucky, Catherine said, I remember screaming, they murdered him. Investigators processed the crime scene, taking evidence that they thought contained DNA in the hopes that it could be matched to someone already in the system. I don't know why the processing took so long, but one article that I read said that the DNA results didn't come back for two years. I know some systems get backlogged with the labs that they're using, and turnaround can take quite some time. But two years sounds excessive, so 
I wish I understood what that delay was all about. Now, once they did get those DNA results, Nichols said that police told her an arrest could be made within months. That was over 14 years ago. Police do say they believe the murder was not random. Whoever killed Jim stole his truck, then drove it to the bank. The killer used Jim's ATM card to steal his money. Now, that particular ATM wasn't the closest one to his house, but it was the one that Jim used. As an investigator, that is a fact that really sticks out to me. And it suggests, in my mind, that the killer may have been someone that knew Jim well, well enough to know his habits. The video camera at that ATM had recently been repaired, and whoever repaired it didn't put the camera lens back in properly. So the surveillance videos, even though they exist, are pretty much useless. Something like that is pretty common. When we watch stuff on TV and we read about things, it seems like there's just always, always all of this evidence. There's always video. There's always DNA. There's always some sort of of blood analysis that can be done. And really, more often you have just a very, very few number of clues that you can hang your hat on to try to solve a case. Jim's Dodge Ram pickup was found just five miles from his home, but police say they were unable to retrieve any useful evidence from it. Catherine Nichols believes that someone has information about her brother's murder, but for whatever reason, they will not come forward. In response to what happened to her brother and what that's done to her family and the community, she created a group for family and friends of those who were killed. It's called Kentuckians Voice for Crime Victims. And she also started a Justice for Jim Duckett page on Facebook. I've put a link to Kentuckians Voice for Crime Victims in the show notes, so you'll want to check out the work there. You can look up Justice for Jim Duckett on Facebook. It is a private page. You'll have to ask to join. Catherine told WAVE3.com, These are evil people, and I've met evil now, and I've never known it. The Kentucky State Police interviewed numerous persons of interest, but were never able to make an arrest in Jim's case. They also say that it's possible that Jim's killer or killers took a personal item of his as a trophy. Catherine believes that Jim knew whoever took his life. She also believes that someone out there knows something, and she's hoping that they'll come forward with that information. The day before he was killed, Jim enjoyed a day of Christmas shopping with Catherine before hanging out with his nieces and nephews. His family wants to know what happened, just like I would, just like you would, if that happened to someone we loved. It may only take one small piece of information to fill out the case enough that authorities can make an arrest. If you know anybody who lived in the Shelbyville, Kentucky area in 2008 or shortly thereafter, please share this episode with them. Sometimes people don't even realize how much information that is helpful that they actually have. Now, if you have any information about Jim Duckett's death, please contact the Kentucky State Police Post 12 at 502-227-2221. Let's all put ourselves in the shoes of Jim's loved ones. 
They want to know what happened to him and why. And if justice can be done, they want to see that happen, as any of us would. If you look at recent statistics from the FBI, you'll see that about half of all murders in the United States today go unsolved. As a society, we can't just sit back and accept that. We've got to find ways to do whatever needs to be done to get answers for families who've lost a loved one to violence. I appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast so very, very much. I'm going to be focusing on blogging more this year too. So if you want to make sure that you never miss a blog post, sign up for my email list. You can go to my website, theunlovelytruth.com, and when you scroll down to the bottom of the homepage, there'll be a place where you can sign up to get emails so you will always know what's going on. The Bible passage that I want to focus on this week is a little longer than usual. It's Deuteronomy 21, verses 1 through 9. Suppose you find someone who has been killed. The body is lying in a field in the land the Lord your God is giving you as your own, but no one knows who the killer was. Then your elders and judges will go out to the field. They will measure the distance from the body to the nearby towns. The elders from the town that is nearest the body will get a young cow. It must never have been used for work. It must never have pulled a load. The elders must lead it down into a valley. The valley must not have been farmed. There must be a stream flowing through it. There in the valley, the elders must break the cow's neck. The priests, who are sons of Levi, will step forward. The Lord your God has chosen them to serve him. He wants them to bless the people in his name. He wants them to decide all cases that have to do with people arguing and attacking others. Then all the elders from the town that is nearest to the body will wash their hands. They will wash them over the young cow whose neck they broke in the valley. They'll say to the Lord, We didn't kill that person. We didn't see it happen. Accept this payment for the sin of your people Israel. Lord, you have set your people free. Don't hold them guilty for spilling the blood of someone who hasn't done anything wrong. That will pay for the death of that person. So you will get rid of the guilt of killing someone who didn't do anything wrong. That's because you have done what is right in the Lord's eyes. God knew before he ever created the world that our communities would sometimes have to deal with unsolved homicides. So he gave us instructions for how to do just that. Whenever we cannot find a guilty party, justice cannot adequately be served. The community, though, still has a responsibility to deal with the crime. We don't do that very well anymore. We isolate victims' families instead of joining with them and crying out for justice. Now, I'll be the first to admit that that part about breaking the cow's neck is pretty puzzling. But in biblical times, the murder in the field would have made the land unclean. So a ritual purification would then be necessary to restore the blessings that God wanted to produce for the Israelites from that land. And I think today that anytime we have a murder out in our community and we don't know who did it, that makes our community not as safe, 
It makes us not feel as connected to one another. And so I think that even though we don't have to fulfill Old Testament rituals anymore, I think that we need to be really cognizant of the fact that we do live in community and we need to watch out for each other and that what happens to someone doesn't affect just that person. We need to bond with them, come together with them, not only to support them, but to take care of our communities the way God intended. The people back then didn't stay in their little believers' bubbles and decide that outsiders could just deal with their own issues. They knew that these problems affected the entire community, and so it would take an entire community to set things right. I think we need to recapture that mindset today, and we can. It's exciting to see so many news stories about cold cases that were solved in 2022, like the story of Sharon Lee Galagos, who was four years old when she was abducted in New Mexico. And now, 62 years later, the mystery of where she was has been solved. Now, hopefully this year, in 2023, That'll be the year that authorities can identify her killer and bring that person to justice. And let's not forget about the case of Brittany Drexel. I highlighted that case on Season 3, Episode 47, and 2022 was the year it was solved. After she went missing in 2009, no one knew exactly what happened until her remains were found this year and the man responsible for her death pled guilty to her murder. Melissa Highsmith was just 22 months old when she was kidnapped in 1971. This past year, a DNA test proved who her parents were, and she was able to reunite with them in November. After being known as Melanie for most of her life, she plans to change her name to Melissa. While we celebrate these and many, many other cold cases that were solved in 2022, we have to remember how many more families are awaiting answers to the cold cases in their lives. As believers, we need to remember what it says in Galatians 6 2. Help carry one another's burdens, and in this way, you will obey the law of Christ. That's from the Good News Translation, and I love the way it says that we're helping carry burdens. Even though we might not be responsible for what happened to someone, we need to help carry their burden because that is obeying the law of Christ. And surely this is a reference to John 13, 34, which says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so must you love one another. And we can show that love when we help carry one another's burdens. Loving as Christ loves us is a pretty tall order. But you know what? Putting others' needs first is a great start. We're going to spend a lot of time in 2023 diving into more true crime stories so that we can learn ways not only to help ourselves stay safer, but so we can also be encouraged and equipped to reach out and help others. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out some earlier ones. I've had amazing guests. I've highlighted amazing stories, and we have learned so much information that you are not going to want to miss. And please help someone else Begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact. And you can do that by sharing this episode or another episode that maybe was a favorite of yours. You can subscribe to the podcast. 
and go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating with a nice review. That is a great way for new people to discover what we're up to here at The Unlovely Truth. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. 